the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now this is a church that exists to help people just like you. Find the real life you were created for and then find it to the full. And that's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. 10. And today we begin a brand new series called Us and Them. This is going to be an eye-opener series for a lot of people, especially for those of us with a plank in our eye. What? No, not me. It's those guys with a problem. Well, Pastor Sean Azaro is going to unpack this idea that there is no us and them. It's all us. And that the church should be the healing community for anyone in need of Jesus. Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. But if you feel led right now to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. As a place to give at reallife.org. It's part two of the message, Us and Them. Pastor Sean is teaching from John chapter 4. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Dude, that speck is really bugging me. You got a thing in your eye. I mean, he's, he's intentionally pointing out how ridiculous this is. He says, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He's not saying you should never remove a speck from your brother's eye. But I wonder if I'll be a little more compassionate, a little more merciful in helping a brother remove a speck from his eye when I've just had surgery removing a plank from my own. When he goes, ow, 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 that hurts. Well, I'd be a little more sympathetic when, like, I know, dude. Is he saying that my brother's sin is less than mine? I don't think he is. I don't think he's saying you're so sinful with a plank and your brother only has a speck. I think the reality is whatever sin is in someone else's heart and life, I only see the little iceberg, the little tip of the iceberg, the speck. But my own sin, if I'm honest, if I'll be honest about it, oh, it's a plank. I can see it clearly. I can see that this, I've got a plank. If I'm honest, I've got a plank in my own eye. Let me make sure I've dealt with the plank. I've brought that to the cross. I've been forgiven and set free. And then if from that position of humility and love for my brother, if God moves in my heart and I have the ability to help him remove the speck from his eye, then in humility, I'll do that. Be careful. See, once I've removed the plank from my own eye, I identify with my brother. And here's a point worth remembering. It is much harder to judge people with whom I identify. As long as they're them, those people, then it's really easy to sit in judgment from a distance. That's why there's so much judgment in our culture right now, the us and them culture. It's crazy. But the minute I begin to identify with them, and go, oh, I've, I've got, I got a big old plank in my eye too. And I mean, I, I've been pretty judgmental. I've been... I've been kind of biased towards people. I've, I've treated people badly. Now it's much harder to judge them because I realize there's no us and them. It's just us when it comes to brokenness of sin. 
So I'm, I want to give you in this message a couple questions that are good to keep in your holster when dealing with someone that you're tempted to call them. Okay? You're tempted to look at them as them. They're always this way. They're bad. They're this. Okay? Here, here's a couple questions for you. Here's one, and I'll give you a few more throughout the message. How are they just like me? When you want to start kind of judging someone else, how are they just like me? How is the speck in their eye kind of similar to a plank in my own? It's a powerful question, and it'll absolutely change how you approach people that would otherwise be a them. See, when it comes to being broken by sin, there is no us and them. There's just us. Second thing that I think we need to recognize, everybody is thirsty for something. Everybody is thirsty for something. And when you think about it, the most sin is actually the result of trying to meet a natural hunger or thirst in an unhealthy way, in a way that is hurtful, sinful, broken. We're all thirsty for something. You know, the Old Testament talks about we trying to satisfy our thirst through, through broken wells or impure wells that can't hold water. There's a great example of this given in John chapter 4. You remember John chapter 4? John gives us an incredible account of Jesus having a conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well. Samaritan woman at a well. In a time of racial and gender division, probably way more significant even than we experience right now. Jesus has this conversation which totally blows by all the barriers. So much so, he talks to her like a friend and she's shocked. She didn't know what to do about it. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa I'm a Samaritan woman. You're a Jewish man. I, <laughs> I can't believe you're talking to me. The conversation begins by talking about water, but quickly goes to the real issue of thirst. Let's take a look. Picking up at verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? She thinks he's still talking about water. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and all, as, all, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Look at her response. She says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. There's actually a little sarcasm. She's, he's, Jesus getting sass right now. She's getting sassy with Jesus. Because she's like, dude, okay. It's like, I'm busy. It's hot. I'm drawing water. Okay, give me, give me this water so I won't have to keep coming here every day. Look at Jesus' response. So I won't keep ha- having to come here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, are you right when you say you have no husband? The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now, have, you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. You ever had a moment like that? Don't you hate when Jesus does that? I mean, he just, he just cuts, and he says it's so matter of fact. He says, it's right, you don't have a husband. The man you're with isn't your husband. You've had five See, she's talking about water, and all of a sudden he goes and he shines a light on her thirst. And it's uncomfortable. And I, I think when Jesus does that to us, it can be uncomfortable. But if, if we dare tough it out like she did, I think there's a gift at the other side, end of that light. Now, she toughs it out. I say she toughs it out because what she re- immediately does is try to distract. 
Okay? She quickly changes the subject to this controversy that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. Well, you, you Jews say that the temple's the only place and to, to worship. And we Samaritans think it's here on the mountain. You know? And she thinks she's going to throw this religious Jew off her trail because it's like getting a little too close for comfort. Jesus says, yeah, woman, the time is coming. We're not going to minister. We're not going to worship on the, in the temple. We're not going to worship in the mountain. See, what God's looking for is worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And then she comes back and she says this. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And look what happens then. Then Jesus declared, I, the one who, one speaking to you, I am he. What's fascinating is Jesus didn't share that with everybody. But there's something in this woman, something in her hunger that he shared with her. And, and we know from there, she goes back, tells everybody in her village, come see the man who told me everything that I did. Could this be the Christ? And many people come out, they hear Jesus, and many people believe because of this woman's testimony. See, just like Matthew, Jesus saw something and heard that others couldn't see. And an entire village is changed with the gospel because of her testimony. What's interesting is her sin, and I want to focus on that for a minute. Her sin came from a place of hunger and thirst. What did she hunger and thirst for? She hungered and thirst for love and for security, and she tried to satisfy that thirst in men, probably the wrong kind of men, and it was always coming up short, coming up broken. And Jesus revealed he is the source for love and security, a never-ending supply. He is the Messiah. And I've got to tell you, one thing that drives the Pharisees among us crazy when it comes to this story is that Jesus never condemned or really even commented on her sin. He just blatantly states the reality of her situation. He simply addresses her thirst. And the Pharisees among us are like, dude, you've got to tell her because that sin's killing her. Jesus, we've got to talk about sin. Tell her. And he doesn't. And it's like, come on, Jesus. And all he does is address her thirst and that he is the one who will satisfy every thirst. He wants to satisfy your thirst, my thirst, their thirst. And that's the gospel. That's good news. I can take that and run with it. Where does your thirst or my thirst or hunger cause me to try and be satisfied in an unhealthy or a sinful way? Have you thought about that? The thirst. Do I use my position or my achievements to try to satisfy my thirst for respect, dignity, even power? Do I ever try to, in an unhealthy way, do that? Because that's sin. And taken to its farthest extreme will always lead to pain and abuse. Do I ever use people to get what I want? I try not to, but I'm not going to stand before you and say I've never done that. How about my hunger to be secure? If I ever use money or my resources to make myself feel safe and secure instead of taking that need to the Father and being filled with him? Because anything I use to meet my needs other than him will become a source of sin and brokenness and will ultimately lead to destruction. The farther I go down that road, the more broken it will become. See, we all have hunger. And a great question, here's another one, when addressing someone who is broken by sin, someone we might be tempted to call them, is what is he or she thirsty or hungry for? Think about that family member, that loved one, who just keeps disappointing and is broken and you, you care, but it's like you're getting fed up. What is he or she thirsty for? How would that change the way we approach them? 
See, Jesus wants to satisfy their hunger just like he satisfies ours. When it comes to being broken by sin, there is no us in them. There's just us. And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Pastor Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church, in this message and series called Us and Them, which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. And if you've been blessed by this teaching and ministry, please let us know with a quick note at reallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And Pastor Sean Azaro, now an author, invites you to check out his brand new book. 302 Books, a division of Salem Media Group, presents A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life, Rediscovering the Gift of the Spirit, authored by Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Growing up in and around Pentecostal churches, I really learned to appreciate the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer. But I also saw what I considered to be imbalance and excess in some of our churches when it came to how we taught about the infilling. Now available at Amazon.com, Sean Azaro shares his most requested teaching and radio broadcast Podcast series in a devotional form, encouraging you to embrace the Spirit-filled life. I wrote in a devotional style to encourage readers to examine the Scripture with fresh eyes and make room for the Lord to speak about the role of the Spirit in our lives. The goal of the whole book is to simply make you hungry for more of the Spirit. Order your copy of A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life by Sean Azaro today at Amazon or reachingforreallife.org. And now the conclusion to the message, Us and Them. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio. One of the things that when people ask about, you know, preaching, doing preaching, and I've done a couple workshops on preaching to, to leaders, and people say, well, do you have, like, a different message for those who are unbelievers or those who are believers, and how do you do that? And it's, I, I've always been, it's kind of not that hard because the message is very similar. You're just, you're just really asking people to take that next step. John Burke at the Real Life Conference said, I, said, said it beautifully, I thought, he just said, we all have one thing in common. None of us fully trust Jesus. <laughs> That's absolutely true. In fact, I chose to do a little less work this week. I'll use John's point. None of us fully trust Jesus. Isn't that true? None of us fully trust Jesus. And understand, the Christian life is all about fully putting our faith and trust in Jesus. Not just for salvation, but for everything. For guidance, for wisdom, for health, for provision, for direction, all of it, we're supposed to trust Jesus. And here's the deal. We continue to grow in trusting him daily, and none of us have arrived. None of us. I fully believe I trust Jesus more fully today than I did 20 years ago. But my prayer is that I will trust him more fully, more completely 20 years from now than I do today. We're all in process on trusting Jesus with everything in our lives, our resources, our work, our families, our decisions, all of it. And yet none of us has arrived there. We're all in process. I want to tell you a story. Um, I call it the stripper and the preacher. I probably should have put it on the marquee because we would pack this place out, wouldn't we? (laughs) Come hear about the stripper and the preacher. Uh, It's a true story because I'm the preacher. And you're like, ooh, do tell, Sean, do tell. <laughs> when we started our ministry, we had this young musician who was part of our band who, who just had a great outreach ministry. And he would go downtown and just set up and play music and he'd meet people. And one of the people he met down by the Riverwalk, just walking to the Riverwalk, was a, a young woman. And uh, we'll call her Amanda. 
Um, and she was a stripper, an exotic dancer. And she ended up, he invited her, she ended up showing up at church. She lived not far from where we met. And we were very small, it was just very beginning. Um, she invited a couple of her friends. So literally, we're this little tiny group starting out, and we've got several of these exotic dancers, these strippers who are attending our church. That's good for promotions, kind of, you know. So this girl, Amanda, lived not far from where we lived, actually. She lived with her mom. She had two daughters. And through, you know, obviously very tumultuous life, lots of ups and downs, she got kicked out of her house with her daughters. She needed a place to stay. So Lori and I prayed about it. We opened our home, and we invited them to stay with us for a time of transition while we helped them, you know, find something else and get on their feet. Now, she's still doing this. And, of course, our challenge is always, man, you... you you got to stop. God that, God, that doesn't honor God, and you don't want to do that. And, you know, by this time, I'd gotten to know a little bit about the profession, okay, of exotic dancing. One, none of the young women I met wanted to do that, okay? They hated it, obviously. Stop and imagine having to do that for a living, okay? And they, that's, it, that's a pretty accurate depiction. But they made incredible money doing it. They made great money doing it. They couldn't make anywhere else. The problem is, to be able to do it, they had to buy drugs just to be able to medicate themselves enough to be able to get up and do this. And so <clears throat> it's this vicious cycle. They're making this great money. They can't seem to let go of that because they got kids, they got responsibilities, and yet the drugs make it so that they're, they're able to do it, but they're always broke. So it's like this never-ending cycle that they're locked into. And so I'm one day sitting and challenging this girl, Amanda, I'm saying, you have got to trust the Lord. He will. I promise you, he's done it for us. I've seen it. You've got to trust the Lord with this. If, if you got to go work at a department store, I said, just go do it. Just go get a job at the department store. Even if they just pay you minimum wage, I promise you, the Lord will meet your needs. We'll try to help. We'll come around. But this is where you learn to trust God for you. And as I'm saying that, the Lord brings up something that I'm like holding in another part of my brain. Okay, you ever had two sides of your brain that aren't talking to each other? In this other side of my brain, we were very small. We weren't getting paid. It was getting really tough financially. Really tough. He'd asked us to walk by faith. This has been a couple years by now, and we are flat broke, and we are, he's meeting our needs, but it, the pain, the pressure, the weight is starting to get to me. And I was seriously considering leaving this new little work, Real Life Ministries in River City Community Church, and just going to be a music minister somewhere. Because I had a couple different large churches that knew what I could do and were interested. And I was seriously considering. I was praying about that. Lord, can I? And God wasn't saying a word. Lord, but I, I could use the money. And the, and the money was pretty good. Way better than anything we'd made at that point. And so I'm literally thinking about disobeying the Lord because of financial pressure. And he brings it up at the most inopportune time. I'm like, God, this is not fair. Because clearly my sin was more respectable than her sin, wasn't it? And what the Lord showed me is her sin is that she doesn't trust me. The other's a symptom. The other's, yeah, it's, it's, it's bad. But the real sin is that she doesn't trust me in her heart, and neither do you. And that'll knock you on your can. And so I'm sitting there, she's talking, and I'm, I'm reeling now, okay? I started out fine. I was so confident and strong at the beginning of that conversation. It was so good. But now I'm kind of reeling, and the Lord just said, that's where it's at. And I, I felt I had to tell her. I told her, I said, the Lord just brought something to my mind, and you need to know. And I just laid that out for her. 
And I said, the Lord made it crystal clear I would be in sin if I were to not trust him, if I were to leave what he called me to do just because of money. And so I'm not going to do it. And I said, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. You can make this leap. He will take care of you. He's going to take care of me. He always has. And he will take care of you. And she ultimately did. She ultimately did walk away. Ended up marrying a decent guy. And, you know, they, they kind of, every once in a while, they, they moved away. But every once in a while, they'll come visit. And it's just one of those things where you recognize, oh, my gosh, Lord. We were not different at all. I don't care if mine was more acceptable. I wasn't going to trust the Lord, and neither was she. That's powerful. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in our power, our wealth, our connections, our opportunities, our system, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Romans 15, 13, Paul writes, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you what? Trust in him. You trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. None of us trusts in him fully. And so before we get this us and them thing, maybe God needs to remember us, to to remind us that when it comes to being broken by sin, there is no us and them, there's just us. When I connect with someone who's kind of one of them or one of those ones that's hard to connect with, what is it that they're, ch- they're struggling to trust God with? Just like I struggle to trust God with certain things. Last thing, I'll wrap with this. This is so important. As we think about people, as we think about our ministry, as we think about who we are, Jesus invites us all to find healing as we follow him together. Jesus invites us all to find healing as we follow him together. We are all in the same boat and have been invited to be made whole and to become the beautiful creation that God created us to be. What if we saw our church, our community, as a healing community that was for everyone? What would that change? A healing community for everyone, not a club for the well or a retreat for the righteous. What if we saw our church as a healing community for everyone and ourselves as those who were being made whole and healing? Would that change things? The thing that's shocking to me is how much of a paradigm shift that is for so many of us. We've planted a couple different churches. And our church in New Braunfels uses a simple confession that I think sums it up pretty well. I kind of like it. It says, we are badly broken but deeply loved. What if we kept that in mind? What if that was even a confession of ours? We are badly broken. Because when it comes to brokenness sin, there is no us and them. There's just us. We are badly broken, but the good news is we are deeply loved. What if we saw our job being to invite others who are badly broken to come and be deeply loved by Jesus? To join the community, to find their hunger satisfied with his bread of life, their thirst satisfied with his living water. What if that became the culture of our congregation? Do you think it would change our approach to people who are far from God? Do you think it would change the response, listen to this, that many people have for the church? 
Who is it that you kind of consider the them and it's hard for you to engage with? I know there's this thing with kind of the homosexual community and the church because the Bible talks about any sexuality outside of God's design as sinful and hurtful and broken. But what if we recognize that they're not different than us, they're just like us and actually lived like that because they are. Well, wait a minute. No, I'm not. I've acknowledged my sin. Well, there was a time when I didn't. There was a time when I didn't acknowledge my sin. When I rebelled against God. And even after I came to know Jesus, there were certain sins that I still rebelled in while he worked on my heart until he brought those into a place of surrender and submission to him. I mean, we, we think of this us and them. What if we looked at it differently? How would that change things? You know, same-sex attraction, we go, oh, that's, that's so broken. D- dudes, we all have attractions that are unhealthy. We all have impulses that are unhealthy. It might not have to do with sex. It might have to do with violence. It might have to do with anger, temper. It might be a sexual thing. Whatever it is, we all have them. We are not different from them. We're just like them. And they are just like us. When it comes to the brokenness of sin, there is no us in them. There's just us. What if we actually lived that reality and declared this space a healing community for all of us who are badly broken to come and be deeply loved and to find life together? That's a game changer. We'll talk more about how people would respond to us uh, next week. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message in the series, Us and Them, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd appreciate your feedback. You can leave us a note on our Contact Us page. Or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. As Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life.